Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello science lovers and welcome again to another edition of Lost in Science across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Stu and on the show this week I'm going to be talking about uh, a little bit about Homo naledi which we have talked about before on the show. Uh, It's the potential new human ancestor that they've discovered in Southern Africa Um, but not everyone thinks that it's necessarily this is the tiny bones in the cave was it yeah yeah 1550 uh, bone specimens that they pulled out of up to or probably at least 15 individuals Hmm. and Um, is there some controversy yeah the methods uh used uh, are drawing a little bit of fire but i'll go into more detail Hmm. later in the show Chris, what have you got for us? Well, speaking of controversy, you might um, have noticed not that long ago there was the World Health Organization announced that processed meat can cause cancer. And this caused pretty much a big backlash, basically everyone saying, I'm not going to give up my ham with this cancer risk. And yeah, there's a lot of people not really liking the news or not believing the news. So I'm just going to dissect what that actually means, what the level of risk really is, but also talk about the the elephant in the room, um, the figurative elephant in the room that basically means you probably should rethink your processed meat consumption anyway. But yes, there is a, another good reason to, to reconsider it. Claire. Well, that's actually a good segue into what I'm going to be talking about today, which is some of our most beloved vegetables and the lesser advertised effects of some of these vegetables. In that note, it's not the nutrition value. It's that they can make you change color. So, yeah. Some this vegetables. Real? Yeah, it's real. It's it's definitely real. And it's something that I think a lot of people have experienced before. Okay. Yep. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, stay tuned. Traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. Homo naledi, believe it or not. Should we? Well, Lieberger's widely publicized discovery of what is possibly a new branch in the human evolutionary tree made a huge media splash back in September of this year. Named Homo naledi after the Chamber of Stars cave in which the remains of at least 15 specimens were found, Naledi means star in the local Sotho language, so that's why it's Homo naledi. But Berger has come under scrutiny from other paleoanthropologists for his unorthodox methods in verifying and classifying the find. Uh, so traditional methods of identifying and applying appropriate taxonomic status to hominid fossils require careful extraction and cleaning of specimens by trained professionals. You know, you don't want to break any bones while you're, uh, mm-hmm. while you're bringing these fossils to, uh, to the surface. And this was deep underground in a cave. And that's generally followed uh, with examination by acknowledged experts in the fields of anatomy and paleontology. And then usually it eventually gets published in high-profile journals, for example, Nature or Science. But... 
Berger took his all-female crew down into the cave along with a camera crew from National Geographic to collect specimens. And that in itself has attracted a bit of uh, attention because people are saying, why did you do it with a, with a film crew there for a Weren't start? Weren't they paying for it? They they did provide some funding, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, does that mean that they insist on getting a decent story out of it? Because you know, do the other um, scientists think that Berger is selling out? Well, it's not just that; um, it's also that he published in only a few months after he Found took the it. fossils out, and he did it in an open access online journal rather than doing it in one of the old school peer reviewed paper journals. He also which is actually kind of a cool thing. Uh, the fossil remains were scanned and made available to anyone with a 3D printer who could then examine replicas of the fossils and oh, so cool. you know, mm. put in their own opinion, which is, you know, that's actually yeah. kind of a cool idea. Um, it, means, it means that you don't damage the originals. It means that people all over the world can, can help you out. But uh, also the idea of anyone being able to make replicas of the fossils, some people have a problem with that because they think that you know, depending on the quality of the 3D printer, that they might, you know, poor reproduction of the fossils and there might be, you know, artifacts from the reproduction. 3D printers are not perfect and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But also that, you know, having a 3D printer doesn't mean you can actually, you know, usefully compare this replica fossil to another example. So the lack of skill of the people examining these things might be a problem. Are, are they suggesting that people will go away and make scientific discoveries using these 3D printed replicas of Homo naledi, or are they just using it as like as, as a way to reach out to um, scientifically interested people and be like, okay, now look look what you have access to now? And Well, the, the real issue to be sure that Homo naledi is a different species to what some people are saying that it's actually just Homo erectus and we've already discovered these you know, this branch of the the human ancestor chain um, is that, you know, unless you're a real expert, it might be really hard to tell what the difference is. So, yeah, there is an issue with that. But, of course, you know, if you just want to, you know, get it into schools and that sort of thing to to encourage Mm. interest, that's great. But also when you're looking about putting it out there for their peers to to examine the evidence, having anyone able to access copies of the fossils is a a very fair way for them to, for their peers, for the other scientists to, to examine these fossils, as opposed to sometimes you see with these things, someone will find the fossil and they'll have certain claims on it and then it'll restrict access to it. And I think it's very hard for people who disagree with their conclusions to examine the fossils. They'll they can go by some photos in the paper. Absolutely. So in this case, it makes it a lot easier then for other scientists to... Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, Lee Berger's actually said that. He said yeah. that, you know, some of these old school journals are, are very restrictive and they've got a, you know, a small number of experts who are the peers mm-hmm. who do all the reviewing and they, you know, can have an undue influence on what gets published and what doesn't. So that was part of the reason he chose to do it. Yeah. Um, but obviously people who put their faith or have a vested interest in the old system working are going to disagree yeah. with him. Um, the other thing that has been raised is the dating of the fossils. Well, so there hasn't been any. They haven't done any dating yeah. of the fossils. So pretty much anything that they've found or if they've found differences doesn't actually make any difference because there's no way to appropriately place these fossils in a particular time period. So that makes it very difficult to accurately draw relationships with other known hominid populations in Africa because so we why- don't know when... They were alive. Why yeah. haven't they done any dating on them? Because they don't have any... They haven't had time. Oh. Because they rushed, rushed to publish. 
So yeah. So this information is going to come later. Well, potentially, and right. but it makes a huge difference between saying this yeah. is a new species yeah. uh, because if they're only you know if if they're only fifty thousand years old, then sure they're a new species, yeah. but they're not necessarily an ancestor. They may be a concurrent species that's now extinct, or you know it it totally changes the game mm. depending on when. In history, yeah. these fossils are from. Well, the dating also takes a bit of work. I mean, often they date it according to what other fossils are found, um, along with them or other geolog- geological clues. In this case, there was not many. Yeah, which all takes time, and this yeah. is this is you know another reason why they they're getting so much flack for mm. getting it out so quickly and publishing um, a conclusion is that a lot of people are saying, well, how can you have a conclusion if you don't even know how old they are? Are they our ancestors? Are they our contemporaries? Who knows? Because we don't know exactly how old they are. But, you know, I just think it's 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 an interesting example of how the old ways of, of doing science of, you know, you make a, make a discovery, you repeat your experiments or you verify your claims by peer review and then you publish them and it's a slow-moving process, which a lot of people think is outdated because now we have the internet and we can not necessarily crowdsource because you don't necessarily want citizen science to come into this, but you can access expert opinion from all around the world relatively easily, mm-hmm. um, especially with this, you know, the idea of being able to 3D print artifacts like that is, is quite an amazing breakthrough in technology. But um, Certainly this is the first species of hominid where that has been on the table at all. Well, yeah, no one's even sort of suggested that you could yeah. do that before. But, you know, that that could apply to all sorts of comparative anatomy studies, all sorts of zoology and, and even, you know, mm. maybe um, plants and, and, you know, existing animals and conservation and all sorts of things, really. The, the, the main issue that certain scientists have is that he's doing something different to the way we've always done it. And that's always going to be a problem because there are issues with you know verifying how accurate you can be and how fast you can do it without making mistakes and mm. the old system works fine so if it ain't broke don't you know why fix it um i don't know it's also the highly charged field of human evolution where people are always going to find problems with things whatever conclusion you get if it disagrees with their own theory it's, it's something that people take very seriously i think human evolution they'll find something to nitpick on and well certainly people in the field of of uh, anthropology and paleoanthropology yeah. take it very, very seriously. But it just, um, you know, it, it's not going to bother the uh, the remains of the, you know, no, the, the proto-humans who uh, have been lying in the cave for centuries. I don't think a couple more years is going to bother them before someone figures out what to call them. Okay, so in the last week of October, the World Health Organization's IARC, which stands for the International Agency for Research on Cancer, announced that processed meat is a Category 1 carcinogen. Ooh, Category 1, that sounds yeah, bad. It puts it in the same category as tobacco and asbestos. Whoa! Now, this has predictably caused a bit of an outroar, outroar, uproar, uproar. Um, with no less than, you know, People like Barnaby Joyce saying you shouldn't stop eating processed meat. Um, this is they don't know what they're talking about. That there's no way that uh, a piece of bacon is as bad as smoking a cigarette, etc., etc., etc. So anyway, look, I thought we can all just settle down a bit, you know, and let's just take a look at what it actually means. Let's well, look let, at the science. Let's, let's, let's the not science. make dietary decisions based on Herald Sun headlines. 
That's generally good advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so first of all, the Category 1. Yeah, what is the Category 1 carcinogen? Well, the categories from the IARC, they're based not on the level of risk, but on the strength of the evidence. So in this case, they have a team of researchers that reviewed over more than 800 epidemiological studies to come to this conclusion that, yeah, that this definitely is a link between processed meat and cancer, and bowel cancer in bowel this case. Bowel cancer specifically? Yeah. yeah. Right. The actual risk that they quantified is that there's an 18% increase for, the, for a daily consumption of 50 grams of processed meat. So if you eat sort of a single serve of 50 grams every day, then it'll increase your risk of bowel cancer by 18%. So how much is that? Is that like, that's about, what, a rasher of bacon, two rashers of bacon? Probably, yeah. Probably yeah. a couple of rashers of bacon. Mm. And now, what sort of meats are we talking about here? Well, okay, this is interesting. This is um, this what is, is a processed this meat? is processed meat. So it is basically anything small like goods? your hands, bacon, small goods, that kind of thing. This is separate to unprocessed red meat. Uh, we're generally talking processed red meat in this case. I think they're mostly focusing on, on red meat. So we're not so talking some, about chicken loaf. There is a huge range of processed meat. So they just like looked at evidence across the board. Like I said, from multiple countries, multiple um, dietary regimes, multiple cultures. And this is like the, the end result of summing up all that evidence. So it's across all the whole lot. There's no, I can't be specific about it because they reviewed you know, evidence from around the world. But like this 18%, to compare it to say something like smoking, uh, which is also a category one, um, Smoking increases by about twenty times the the risk of oh, so, developing. So rather cancer. than an eighteen percent increase, this is uh, smoking, smoking would is be what? like a nineteen hundred percent increase. Okay, so it's a much bigger increase. So it's not again, it's not the level of risk; it's the the strength of the evidence involved. And bowel cancer is is the cancer they're talking about here with um, processed meat. Now it is look, it is the second most commonly diagnosed cancer in Australia, not counting non-melanoma skin cancers, which apparently aren't kind of tracked as that much. They're believed to be the most common. But anyway, so it's the second most commonly one. I think the most common diagnosed is prostate by this counting. But there's still, it's still only about an 8% chance for an Australian to by age 85 to be diagnosed with bowel cancer. So it's around about 8%, but essentially this 18% increase essentially would be involved in basically increasing risk from 7.9% to 9.3%. That's the kind of level of increase we're talking about from mm. this, this risk. So it's a real, it is a real effect, the processed meat factor, but it's not, obviously it's not completely, you know, a huge one necessarily. And if you stopped eating processed meat, it wouldn't reduce, reduce your risk to zero. So it's real, but it's not kind of the only factor involved in bowel cancer. And yeah, so it is just basically the fact that you know the World Health Organization is trying to uh, work out what things do cause cancer and what doesn't, and what the evidence tells you. Now, to give you an idea of this, so category one I said is those things that definitely give you cancer. That includes your processed meat and asbestos as well as tobacco, plutonium. It's another one that comes in Category 1, as you might imagine. As I might imagine, yeah. Yep. yeah. Totally cutting down on my plutonium intake. <laughs> but look, there are some other ones that are that are Don't non- order it at brunch, Stu. There are some that are very kind of non-specific as well. So they've got outdoor air pollution as, as something there. This is, again, a strength of a lot of studies, but right. it's very non-specific. Now, what do we mean? It's just any outdoor air pollution. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be, could be anything, and it yeah. depends where you live entirely. Um, also, being a painter, can I point out, is, um, is Category really? 1. Yeah. An artistic painter or, you know, I think a, a painter of, I think of a, articles? I think it's a house painter kind of person, but it just, it just says being a painter. Um, category 2A is the next level down. Now, this is things that are 
probably carcinogenic. So these are things where we have good reason to believe they're carcinogenic, but we don't have, it kind of hasn't been proven. And there are things like, well, let's say red meat was recently put into this category. So in this World Health Organization announcement, they also put red meat into this category. Uh, DDT is in category 2A. Also being a hairdresser or barber, if you want your occupations again, and just shift work. Yeah, isn't lack of sleep is in category yeah. 2A? Yeah. yeah. Category 2B are things that are possibly carcinogenic, so there's some reason to think that they might be, but there's not... There, well, some people have suggested they might be, essentially, but there's no proof of it. And this is where you get some of the controversial things. This is where, um, controversially, things like electromagnetic radiation, say, from mobile phones, comes into Category 2B, that some people have suggested that it can cause cancer, but there's no strong evidence. Aloe vera extract is in this category, as is lead. Lead and, and aloe vera sit side by side in the yes. carcinogenic category of 2B. And because we're, ex- we're tracking um, occupations, carpentry is also in this category. Now, oh. category three is the biggest category. That is the one that's known as not classifiable, as in we just don't really know either way. Category four is the category of probably not carcinogenic. So these are the ones where there's good reason to believe that they're not, but it's very hard to prove that something is not carcinogenic. And this is famously, there is only one substance in Category 4. Is it water? No, it's not. Water is actually in Category 3. <laughs> right. Interesting. Actually, tap water is Category 3. Like ah, tap water. okay. But no, um, Category 4 is uh, caprolactam, which is a chemical that used to make nylon. So that, that is the only probab- entry. probably not. There's the only entry Can in Category 4 are probably not carcinogenic. Everything else is right. more dangerous than um, caprolactam. So is this, is this because someone's done a lot of experimentation yeah, presumably. on that because presumably, there was a yeah. fear that it was? I would imagine so. Yeah. Okay. So look, basically what we're saying here is that the evidence says add up. If you look at parallel the evidence says add up for processed meat, saying it that it does cause cancer, but the risk level, how you choose to respond to it, that is something that is between you and your doctor, frankly enough. Um, a single slice of ham won't kill you, but you know, regular consumption throughout your lifetime will have an effect on your level of risk. However, however, before you go and you know go crazy on your on your um, Devon and your your lunch and meat, I'll, I'll just put down this leg of uh, Virginia ham. You do you be I'm very careful with that? It. There is something else you should consider. Um, there was a study that was published in June last year. Um, that fa- that was based on the cohort of Swedish men study. So yes, it's a, it's a cohort study on Swedish men. Found that processed meat increases the risk of heart failure as well as death from heart failure. This was a study that followed 37,000 men um, over 12 years. And it found that this 50 gram serve per day, daily 50 gram serve, will give you an 8% increase in the incidence of heart failure, but a 38% increase in dying from heart failure. Now, we talked about bowel cancer being something that affects 8% of the population. Heart, heart disease is the biggest killer in Australia. So, mm. you know, this is kind of a more significant thing, I think, than this, um, this stoush over, um, over bowel cancer. So and while yet- everyone's getting up and arms saying, oh, the cancer risk is so small, we shouldn't worry about it, just remember that there's also the heart disease side of things. So it's not all yeah. about what causes cancer. So, you know, I mentioned there that lead is one of the lower categories, uh, saying, oh, a bit of a surprise, lead doesn't definitely give you cancer. Well, lead is also poisonous. Mm. So just because it doesn't give you cancer doesn't mean that you can go and, you know, roll around in lead. No, it can cause brain damage and all sorts of things. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly, exactly. So I guess what I'm saying is that even if you're poo-pooing the bowel cancer risk from processed meat, um, there's still a good reason to take it to heart. Everyone knows that veggies are good for you, right? You guys know that. 
Yeah, yes. I mean, processed meat apparently is bad for you, so... Veggies. Veggies, good. Yeah, yeah. A recommended dose of vegetables is about five serves per day. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you're getting that. Yeah, I had I had five serves of fries today. That, that <laughs> should cover it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's what they yeah. mean. Obviously. No, that's not we're not talking mean. about fries. You're talking about your broccolis and your oh, spinaches, okay. Okay. your yeah, capsicums, yeah. you know, those sorts of vegetables. Yeah. Greens. Greens, all, all that sort Carrots. of stuff. They are, they're nutrient dense. They're low in kilojoules. They're a good source of minerals and yeah. vitamins. I, I mean, I sound like a bit of a public health announcement, but there you go. But today I want to look at the weird way that some vegetables can change you from the inside out. So they can actually change your color. So... Let's start with carrots, okay. or more specifically, carotene, which is the orange photosynthetic pigment necessary for plant growth and health in some of some plants. Yep. So carotene, as you can probably guess, is found in carrots, um, so much so that it was named after the carrot, and it, um, it absorbs ultraviolet, violet, and blue light and emits orange or red and, and also yellow light. So science tells us that despite popular belief, you can turn orange from eating too many carrots. So despite popular belief. I don't think that people think that if they eat too many carrots, they'll turn orange. Okay. Like that's sort of something that comes out of Willy Wonka. That's not, that's not generally what people think. Okay. I, I don't hear people going around saying... Don't eat too many carrots, you'll turn orange. Or no, or no, the opposite saying, eat as many carrots as you like, they won't turn you orange. And then scientists are saying, oh, actually, they say will. Actually, sounds, have, this is what I think is normally the other way around. I have, I have seen some people walking around who look very orange and wondered if, why. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe they are just carrot feeds. Are you suggesting it's, Paris Hilton eats a lot of... Possibly. Yeah. Possibly it's too it's many either, carrots. It's either a bad spray tan or it's too much carotene. So you can get too much carotene from carrots, but you can also get it from eating too much pumpkin mm. or too much pawpaw. Although I don't know how anybody would eat too much pawpaw because... Um, tastes like soap. It tastes like, tastes like soap slash like bin juice, like rotting bin juice or something. <laughs> I think you need to get a good pawpaw or papaya. Yeah, possibly just almost, at the yeah. right time. It's yeah. delicious. Yeah. But like yeah, I, we've things. all had our bad pawpaw experiences. <laughs> anyway, so... This effect of turning orange from too much carotene is called hypercarotinemia or carotenosis. Um, And rest assured, it's a harmless effect, except for the fact that you might be mistaken for Paris Hilton or someone with a really bad spray tan. Or an Oompa Loompa. I think they're orange. Or an Oompa Loompa. That's right. Yeah. 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 So it isn't just from Willy Wonka. Mm. No. It's in real life. Yeah. Willy Wonka IRL right here, right now. So normally what happens when carotene enters the body is it breaks down into vitamin A, which is used by the body. It's a necessary vitamin that we need to ingest. It's something mm-hmm. that the body can't make. Yep. But excess vitamin A makes its way to the liver, which is then broken down into monohydroxy and then into polyhydroxy, which is then passed through urine. But if there is some disruption in any of these steps from either the carotene to the vitamin, the vitamin mm-hmm. to the monohydroxy and polyhydroxy, then you get a backload of carotene at the start of the chain and it results in a production of an orange hue at the skin surface, which can be seen at the extremities, like in the hands and yep. the feet and also commonly the nose. Orange nose. Orange nose. So if you see someone specifically with a really orange nose, maybe they have keratinosis. Excellent. Yeah. 
Or alternatively, you can get keratinosis just by eating way too many carrots, pawpaw, or pumpkin. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, people call someone with red hair carrot tops. Why do they call them that when carrots have green tops? Shouldn't someone with green hair be called a carrot top? There's probably not that many people with green hair. No. Someone with keratinosis and green hair can be called a carrot top. Okay, yes. Yep. Yeah. Now, the other vegetable that can cause a bit of awkward angst is the beloved beetroot, or more specifically, the pigment in beetroot, betacyanin. Now, believe it or not, the chemical in beetroot, betacyanin, can turn urine and feces red. Mm. Now, some people might be surprised by this. Um, others might be quite familiar with this cr- with nature's cruel joke. And yet often are still surprised by it when they, <laughs> <laughs> they discover the effect. It's generally just when you forget that you ate yeah, a lot of beetroot the day it. before. That's it. We can all agree. It, it would be, it's slightly terrifying if yep. you forget that you have recently eaten beetroot, yep. you go for a wee, you start peeing red. Um, it's terrifying. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, totally terrifying. Well, now we've all got mobile phones. You can just call Triple O from the toilet and <laughs> just get them to come straight down. Before you remember that you did have uh, that sorry, beetroot smoothie. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I exactly. ate a whole bunch of roast beetroot last night. Sorry. Yep, absolutely. So there isn't anything wrong with you. Public service announcement. There is nothing wrong with you. Um, you have a case of beeturia. That's its official name, beeturia. Now, what makes beta cyanin? break down in the gut. So betacyanin is the pigment. What mm-hmm. makes it break down in the gut is acidity. So the stronger your acid in your stomach, the more it breaks down. But if you have a weaker stomach acid, then more of the betacyanin gets through the small intestine. And there in the small intestine, you've got pancreatic juice, which is quite alkaline, which keeps the um, keeps the pigment intact. Right and encourages it to pass through to the colon. And then once it's in the colon, it actually gets absorbed into the bloodstream. So there, once it's in the bloodstream, it goes around in your blood until it gets filtered by the kidneys, where once it's in the kid, once it gets filtered by the kidneys, it goes into Into the urine. urine. Yep. And makes your urine go that nice shade of red. Yep. (laughs) So it's just, so basically it's a water soluble pigment. That's and if it right. doesn't get broken down, you just weird out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But something that really has stuck with me um, is that potentially while it's in your blood and going to all of your organs, it is staining all of your organs a beetroot red. <laughs> and so if you bleed at that time, then the blood will come out and it'll stain beetroot. It, I mean, blood stains, but beetroot stains much worse than blood. So... You could bloody um, beetrooty blood would be the worst. Would be the bloody beetroots, yeah, yeah. 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 It would be the worst, absolutely. Which is just sort of amazing. Yeah, that it's, you could I don't be... Think it'd be worse for drinking red wine as well. And <laughs> so you spill it in your red wine, yeah. and then spill that on yeah, the carpet. Yeah, yeah, with some chocolate as well. Oh, yeah. Mister Hart, what a mess! <laughs> so if you think about it, with the right combination of carrots, pawpaw pumpkin and beetroot you could be orange on the outside and purple on the inside just like a blood orange yes (laughs) all right that is it for another episode of lost in science where we've learned how to turn yourself a couple of different colors by selectively choosing what you what you eat um we've learned about the dangers of processed meat cancer and heart disease related you know it's up to you what to do with that and Stu has told us all about Controversies in the latest discoveries of human evolution and what it means for scientific peer review. Yes. We don't know yet. No, exactly. 
Uh, Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. What else do you know? We can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on the, on the interwebs. Or you can listen to us on the radio. This time next week, Claire, Stu and Chris will get Lost, Lost in Science! science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.